0: Well, as I told you a few minutes ago, our little six-pound bundle of joy came into the world on Monday night, little Mark Andrew Holland. And, uh, you know, it's really impossible for me to capture in any kind of words the emotion and the excitement and the fear and the anxiety and the celebration and all the mixture of things that go into your heart, and mine and Kim's heart, that we felt, you know, this past week just sitting and looking at this little life As Kim rested in the hospital bed, it gave me a lot of time this week. She was in the hospital for four days and I got to spend a a long time there just while she was resting and a lot of time sleeping, just sitting and thinking and reflecting, holding that little six-pound person right up near my face and laying him on my chest as I leaned back in that recliner. And you can't really look at a, a, a baby enough. Have you ever noticed that? Especially when it's yours. You just look. And you look at the little fingernails and the little fingers and the little feet and all of this, this soft skin with no scars yet, uh, little knees that will look like roadmaps in a few years from all that uh, he's going to fall into. And in the wee hours of the night, I found myself with little Mark Andrew laying on my chest, caught between being a little bit of a philosopher and being a little bit of a daddy the barrage of thoughts that came during those times this week were really impossible to catalog, and my mind just, you can't keep up with it. Uh, I tried to draw a little bit of a list, a little bit of a list of an index of what I thought, maybe in any five-minute period, and it goes something like this. Uh, what kind of little guy, excuse me, what kind of world would this little guy grow up to, to live in? New millennium next year, what is he going to grow up to see? world was bad enough when I was growing up. It's even worse when you're here. What kind of world will he inherit How long will I live for him to know me? Will I see him graduate college? Will I see him go in the first grade? Or will my life be taken? Wonder when he will die. Wonder what he's thinking. you ever looked at a baby and thought, what are you thinking? That nurse better not poke him again. I thought that a lot. They kept coming in and taking blood. And I said, take mine, please. I remember saying, you know what, little Mark, there's going to be so much that you're going to have to forgive me for in the coming years. Please get a head start right now. Um, I also thought, he must think none of us know English. (laughs) All the people that come to visit, none of them communicate in in audible uh, English words to this little baby. It's just, oh, 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 oh. And you see his forehead wrinkle and he's got to be thinking... Bless your heart. I remember thinking, I wonder how long it's going to be before John or Luke hurt this guy. Our, our, our trick this week was to keep Luke from... Luke's really into little baby who's four and Mar, uh, John will just as soon, you know, kick the cradle. He doesn't care. And uh, Luke thought he would be good. He was trying to give little Mark Cheez-Its this week, um, which we had a long discussion about, okay? He was just trying to care for him. I wonder if Jesus will return during his lifetime I thought that I wonder um, why did God make food and the waste system the way he did (laughs) he could have made us easily potty trained it was in his prerogative but he didn't I'm still trying to find to define and find the divine wisdom behind that little treat that God has given us I've already been soaked by the fountain called oh no get me another diaper quick um, uh, I guess you can talk about this. So this is a, you tell every junior high pastor never talk about these kind of things. But you know, um, uh, last night we were getting ready to go out to, to dinner. I wanted to take Kim out to eat. She'd had a hard week, and so I'm I'm, lay, I'm sitting in the floor uh, with my legs out. John's uh, in between my legs here. I'm, I'm changing him, and I, I got very wet. Um, very wet. <laughs> My wife got very much into laughter at that point, too. <laughs> then you see him smile and you think, wow! And then you hear something and remember he wasn't really smiling. Uh, something was just passing through that wonderful system. But <laughs> one of the things I found myself thinking about a lot, seriously. And again, you get a little bit reflective. I, I was in between a philosopher and a daddy, and I'm laying there in this little recliner, recliner uh, during the day or during the night, and I'm looking over at my precious wife, Kim, uh, laying there in the hospital bed with tubes going in and out, and I'm looking at this little life uh, uh, laying on me, and, and it just overwhelmed, and I began thinking, you know, what a joy it is to share this experience with Kim, this experience with my wife. There is no other woman in the world I would want to raise children with Rather than Kim, and so I began to pray for little Mark and just to say, Lord, I beg that you would bring him in your time and in your choosing the woman that you'd have him have. And as I began thinking about that, I thought, Well, how can I possibly help train him in the coming, and my other two boys, in the coming months and years, and and on and on as it goes, to get them ready for that crucial decision? And I don't think that I can really improve on what we've been studying. It's right out of the text. It's right out of the scripture. It's principalized. And I long to take this outline that we've been studying just as a, a point of reference in our own uh, ministry and teach it to my boys um, as they grow older. All these choices, though, that he's going to make, you know, where to go to school, what to think, what to wear, none of them are nearly as important as the woman that he's going to choose. And the same for my other boys. But it's the same for you. And you're only going to choose a mate based on the convictions that you have and that you have developed I would guess to say that many of you have certain ideas about coming into a relationship, certain ideas about having a relationship. Before I began dating, I had ideas, but I'm going to confess to you, they weren't riveted as convictions rooted in the Scriptures as much as they needed to be. I've been more convinced in this study that we've done in the last 10 weeks or 12 weeks or so of the importance of you guys developing deep Firmly rooted and planted Biblical convictions now Even before you're in a relationship Than I have been ever before So the question becomes What are your convictions? What do you believe about relationships? What do you believe about dating? About courting? About arranging a marriage? About whatever? What do you really believe When push comes to shove And you find a person you're attracted to What is it That makes you attracted? And what is it that makes you attractive and how do you play that out well today we come to our final study in this last couple of months three months or so and uh... what i would call a very controversial topic i told you guys two years ago when i came that i I didn't want to teach on this you know there's a lot of tapes there's a lot of books just go to the bookstore and look there are shelves and shelves and shelves of how to date and shelves that at least one shelf that tells you how to kiss dating goodbye there's all sorts of shelves of stuff all sorts of angles on relationships and frankly I've probably found only one or two that i would even recommend I've been very disappointed in looking at what's going on in the name of biblical courtship and biblical dating because very little of it has absolutely anything to do with the Bible at all it's just scripture that's twisted to make their own points well we don't want to do that we don't want to do that at all we just want to let the scriptures flow out of the text let the principles lay there and apply our lives to that so the question is then what are your convictions what are your standards for relationships what are your standards for romance there's so many ways you can approach dating you can do courtship you can do dating you can do arranging you can do uh, the internet pick a wife you can do anything these days it seems how are you going to do it what is your roadmap for finding a righteous relationship and that's kind of been our outline as we've gone through this what are the principles that provide a roadmap? To a righteous relationship. And again, let me bring us up to speed by just summarizing where we've been so far. The first we looked at, and they all start with C for convenience, was the contentment principle. The contentment principle. And by that we mean find your happiness in God alone. If you're not happy in God and God alone, you'll never be happy with someone else. If you're miserable as a single, guess what? You're going to be a miserable person and a miserable person to live with as a married Secondly, we looked at the conversion principle, which means if you're truly a Christian, you have to pursue only a Christian. There's no choice here. 2 Corinthians 6 and 1 Corinthians 7 both tell us to pursue relationships only in the Lord, not to be unequally yoked. Thirdly, we saw the character principle. Realize, that means become, and recognize, that means identify and find The issues of the heart. and Make sure that they're truly a growing person before the Lord, that their life is intact, that they're above reproach, that it's someone who you would love to uh, even raise your children someday. Fourthly, we looked at the cultivation principle, which meant to honor one another as spiritual siblings. The Bible has so much to say about honoring the one another's, dealing with each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord, with Jesus as our, our big brother and each other as our spiritual siblings. Fifthly, we looked at the chivalry principle, which means you need to understand relational roles. Men have been called to lead. Women have been called to follow, to lead in wisdom and to follow in wisdom. And right now you have a choice in how you're going to lead and who you're going to lead. And ladies, you certainly have a choice in who you're going to follow and how you're going to let them lead you. Sixthly, we looked at the companionship principle. And by this, we we were saying embrace God's purpose for marriage. And the purpose that God's given us for marriage, let me remind you, is this. To serve, represent, and glorify Him with a spouse in ways you could never do so alone. To serve, represent, and glorify God with a spouse in ways you could never do so alone. Marriage is not primarily about each other. It's primarily about serving and worshiping and representing and glorifying God. God even chose in Ephesians 5 the marriage relationship as the illustration of his own relationship to his bride, the church. Well, seventh, we looked at becoming a biblical lover, and we called that the commitment principle. Become a biblical lover. Understand love biblically. Understand what love is. Understand what love isn't. Understand the difference between love and lust. Become a biblical lover. Love like Jesus loves. Love like He commands us to love. And that brings us, lastly, number eight, the final three, rather, to this, the communication principle. The communication principle. We have three to go. We can get them all in, I think, today. So let's roll up our sleeves and dive in. Number eight, the communication principle. And what I mean by that is practice biblical communication. If you're going to have a relationship that honors God, you're going to have to communicate biblically. Communication is the problem in our society. You know that because someone recently said that depends on what the meaning of is is. What does that mean? Communication is the conduit of God, Do you realize that when God chose to speak to the world, He actually called His Son the communication. Our pastor talked about it this morning. It's the word logos. It just means revelation, communication. Jesus is the Word of God. Communication is very, very high on God's priority list. He's a very clear communicator. He doesn't have a speech impediment. He communicates how He wants, when He wants, all He wants, and expects us to communicate in a way that honors Him. The core of every problem in marriage, and I would say premarital relationships, is selfishness. That's at the core. If you strip away all the veneer, it's selfishness. And the delivery service that transports such selfishness is called communication. If you want to make it relationally with someone... Let me exhort you. Learning to communicate is a non-negotiable. All of us think we communicate better than we really do. And all it's going to take is for you to live with a person of the opposite sex for a few months and you're going to realize that very, very fast. You know what I learned? I had to communicate about my Saturdays. I had never had to communicate about my Saturdays before I was married to anyone. You know what I did on Saturdays? I got the beverages of my choice... Root beer, diet caffeine-free Pepsi, whatever. Got my Doritos and got the clicker in my hand and I watched as much college football as I could possibly intake. Well, there's a problem. You see, when you're gone all week and your wife's home uh, taking care of those precious little ones, she expects that Saturday is like her day. I never knew that before I was married. I thought every day was my day. (laughs) And my wife, being so precious and gracious as she is, and not that we learned it in the first year of marriage, I'm talking about a couple of months ago, okay? I'm thinking, I have been so busy all week. I've been in the work of the Lord. I've been ministering to people. I'm patting myself on the shoulders to match. I'm getting calluses. I lay down on the couch and I'm doing this and she's getting, she's getting the boys ready. And I'm just like, man, praise God for college game day. And, and they start at 9 o'clock and it finishes about 11 at night. And praise God for living on the West Coast. Isn't that wonderful? UCLA used to kick off when I was back in uh, Tennessee at like 10.30 at night. I I can like get in bed before midnight on Saturday. It's wonderful. Well, the problem is um, there's a little thing called, Hey, honey, would you like me to do anything Saturday? Like, "Mm, I don't know, help you. If you do that, you know what she'd say? Oh, no, dear. You've had such a hard week. You need to lay in front of the television and watch football until you go to sleep. One of the things that you need to learn is to communicate. And the Bible is very clear on how to communicate. And it's very, very simple. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Let me give you four principles of communication that will save you a lot of grief. It will provide a wonderful bridge for the the thoughts that you have and the intentions of your heart and your relationship and it will be a great foundation for a marriage if you learn to implement these principles that God laid out for us so simply in His text. Ephesians 4, pick it up in verse uh, 25. Therefore, laying aside all falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Stop right there. The first principle of communicating effectively is this. Communicate Verbally Communicate verbally Don't assume Don't think they understand Don't wonder if they understand Communicate Communicate verbally Say it Right there in the text In verse 25 it says Speak It didn't say assume It didn't say uh, uh, Take for granted It says talk Speak Use that little muscle Between those gums And communicate And can I tell you That most of you guys Need to learn to talk Most people say, oh, you really need to learn to listen. No, I think you need to learn to talk. And I'm going to give you a challenge. Try to talk without using the pronoun I, without using the word me, and see how much you really have to say. Speak. Don't assume anything unless it's not explicitly stated. Let me say this as a footnote. When it comes to relationships, don't assume the relationship is going anywhere that hasn't been communicated verbally. Now a footnote to that footnote. If someone is communicating in a nonverbal way, in a way that makes you think that, then ask them. Ten times out of nine, it goes like this. I said that just how I wanted to. Is, is the guy says this. The guy says, Oh, you're great. Appreciate you. Let's go. Let's snuggle. Let's do all this stuff. And the girl is thinking like this. He loves me. I know it. I know he loves me. I'm not even going to get that clover because that has a, a he loves me not on there. I know he loves me. He just absolutely adores me. And the guy's thinking, She's really nice. She's a neat girl. And so the girl begins, we this is really and we're and the guy's thinking, Man, what's for supper? It's about the we're about as deep as bird basket, ladies. You just need to know that. <laughs> and then it's like uh the guy says, You know what? Hey, this has been great, but I've I found someone else in uh in biology and she's in, we're in a lab and we're gonna study together and it's been has been great. See you in heaven. And the girl goes, but he loved me. Well, did he tell you that? Did he tell you that? Now, that's a lot of times, can be, roles can be reversed with the guy and the girl. There can be assumptions made that go further than your words have. But then there's also the other problem, which means actually communicating non-verbally in a way that seems like what you're communicating is, I love you, is I care about you, is we're going somewhere that you have no intention of going. Simply put, do this, guys. Tell women what you think. Not too early, but not too late. Women, if you're wondering, ask them. Why not say, I've told you before, excuse me, are you flirting with me? Are you interested in me beyond just a lab partner? I asked a girl out when I, when I first came to Grace Community Church. It wasn't Kim. And I, 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 asked, I said, hey, I'd, I'd like to take you out to dinner on Friday night. She says, great, Why? Um,
1: uh,
0: you know, actually, I think I'm busy Friday night. <laughs> Back out of your own date. That was a good question. Why do you want to take me out? And I said, well, because I think you're neat and I'd like to spend time with you. And she said, okay. And so we went out and we um, we uh, had a great time. And man, I was intimidated. I was nervous. Ner- obviously. And uh, I talked as much as I could that night, just so she wouldn't ask me any more questions. <laughs> well, the date ended, and I, I could see real quick that this—we just weren't, you know. God had me for Kim a couple years later, so we just moved our own ways. Well, about two weeks later, I saw her it's right out here, outside between the two buildings, right, boom, right there. I can see it just like it was yesterday. In fact, I need to start doing this right now because I saw her, and I, and I said, "I said, hey," and she said, "Hey, why didn't you call me back?" And I said, "Well, what do you mean?" And she said, Well, when you drop me off, he said, Hey, I'll give you a call. And I want to say, I didn't really mean that. I was just saying, Have a nice night or something. Which leads to our second communication principle <laughs> communicate honestly. Communicate honestly. Speak the truth. Speak the truth. Lay aside all falsehood. Speak it in love. Say what you mean and mean what you say. But temper your honesty with love. You have to temper it with love. That's why the text says, Speak the truth in love. You've got to take that pattern of biblical siblingship, the one another's, and use that as the foundation for your care and concern communicated through your words for one another. With his neighbor, for we're members of one another. There it is right there. We're members. We're spiritual siblings. Be honest with each other. Now, not brutally honest. Okay? Hey, I was wondering if you want to go uh, out for uh, No, because I don't like you. That's not... Don't do that, okay? <laughs> Be honest. Communicate verbally. Communicate honestly. Thirdly, communicate regularly. Look at verse 26. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Communicate regularly. What this is saying is there's, if there's been many, any misunderstanding, anything that's caused anger, anything that's a breach in the relationship, deal with it when? That day. I've told you guys before, one of the, the best things that my wife and I did, we made a commitment on our honeymoon night. We looked each other in the eye and we said, we, covet, we covenant with each other to never ever go to sleep with an issue unresolved. And you know what? By God's grace, we've never violated that. We've never woke up in the morning and looked up and went, oh yeah. Now, we've had some long nights. Really long nights. We've had a long, long discussion. Long, and it took a long time. Up in the wee hours of the morning sometimes, but we never said, let's let it go. And that's the direct command of the Scriptures here. Deal with today's problems today. Communicate regularly. If you're communicating regularly, you're going to solve the issues in your in your relationships. You're going to settle the issues of your heart. You're never going to wonder. You're going to be able to ask the questions and talk. Communicate regularly. Take care of relational tensions that day. And fourthly, communicate purposefully. Communicate purposefully. Get on to verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. Now that's a sermon in and of itself. But suffice it to say this, what mom said is true. If you can't find something nice to say, don't say anything at all, right? You need to communicate on purpose. You know where that generally slips? Is in disagreements. You get into a disagreement, you get into an argument... And you communicate out of emotion rather than communicating on purpose, purposefully. Speak on purpose. Use your words to build up and not to tear down. You know, I've learned in my own disagreements with my wife, I'm going to have so much to ask forgiveness for when this thing gets resolved out. I don't want to add any more just by my argument. Because about 12 times out of 8, I'm wrong. I mean, I'm going into this thing and the assumption with my heart is, Okay... You're done. That's just when you're going to own it. Go into it with the mindset. If you're going to have a little disagreement, go into the into it with the mindset. I'm going to hold my tongue. You know what James says? If you can bridle your tongue, you're perfect. You say, well, that's impossible. Yeah, that's it. That's his point. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Communicate on purpose. Edification is the goal of Christian communication. Now, that doesn't mean you don't criticize. It doesn't mean you don't rebuke. It doesn't mean you don't confront. It doesn't mean you don't get in the person's kitchen about something that's going on in their life. But it means you do so how? Honestly, in love, verbally, you apply the principles. I promise you this, students. If you don't learn to communicate before you get married with the person you're interested in, you have doomed yourself to a disastrous relationship. It's that important. Because you know what? I love what Josh McDowell says. After the first uh, couple of months, you know what? Sex is no big deal. Then it's down to living with a roommate of the opposite sex for the rest of your life. And you know from having roommates, if you don't learn to communicate properly now, you're in a world of trouble, aren't you? Well, I need to say something I can't... uh, No, don't let it swell up. Communicate. Apply the principles and learn to do that now. You can practice that even if you're not in a relationship with the people that you're living with. The people that you're in the dorm with or in your apartment with. Your friends. Apply these principles. Practice them now. The communication principle. Number nine. Two to go. The chastity principle. The chastity principle. And by that, it's the purity issue. By this I mean, ask how holy can I be? When looking at the relationship and all the dynamics emotionally and physically that come to bear on that, you have to ask yourself, how holy can I possibly be in this relationship? That's my goal. The most often question I get asked in my interaction with people in a romantic relationship is Rick, how far can we go? We've been over this many times. Let me rehearse it to you again. That's the wrong question. What that does is it faces sin. If we can look at it in a continuum, over to my right is sin, right over there. That's going all the way. And what you're doing when you say, how far can I go, is you're pointing yourself in that relationship in the direction of sin and saying, how close can I get to all the way and still be okay? How far can I go? When the Bible says, don't even look that direction, point the other way and say, how holy can I be? Because you know what's at the end of that direction? Hebrews says the marriage bed is undefiled. You get to enjoy all of that with God's permission. I'm not going to get graphic with you, but uh, on our honeymoon, Kim and I kept looking at each other and saying, say, God wants us to do this. This is a gift from God. God's good. We love God. That's okay. But it's on this side. How holy can I be? Not in how far can I go. Do you understand the difference? Can I just say as a footnote too, for a fuller discussion on this principle, I want to suggest that you maybe go back and uh, talk to April or someone and get the tape on fighting sexual sin because we really spent two whole weeks on this subject that there's impossible to unpack just in a little, uh, a little session like this, a few minutes. So you might want to get that and the fuller principles are listed out there. But let me just give you some hooks to hang your thoughts on. First of all, if you want to be pure, if you want to ask how holy can I be, you've got to, first of all, remember the will of God. What do you mean by that, Rick? 1 Thessalonians 4 better be underlined in your Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Finally, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus Christ, just as you receive from us instruction on how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you may excel still more. 1 Thessalonians 4, 2. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. What is that? For this is the will of God for you. What is it? Your sanctification. The Greek word there is your holiness. You're separated from sinness. Now that's a big principle, your holiness. God's will is that you be holy. But then he goes on to actually explain what he means. That is, you abstain from sexual immorality. Very clear? Very concise. Now let me unpack that for you for a second. The word sexual immorality there is the Greek word porneia. And it means all kinds of sexual perversions. It was used in the New Testament, in the Septuagint, and even in classical Greek literature in a lot of ways. It can mean going all the way, and it can mean going part of the way. It can mean anything that causes your mind to lose control of its lust. Pornaya can mean a whole variety of things. Thinking that you should go further than you can as a single person is a is a a perversion of sexual purity. Now you might say, "Well, Rick, is it wrong to think that or to have a lustful thought?" No, it's the way God wired us. It's a gift of God. He's created a man and a woman to come together and to have such chemistry that it leads to that point, but only in a marriage. So when you have those thoughts, you need to deal with them. How can you deal with them? How about praying for it? Lord, you know what I'm thinking right now. Purify my thoughts. Give me victory. Help me to know you're good. Help me to remember that you've not uh, held back anything that's good for me right now. And if you want a fuller discussion on that, again, you might want to get the tape on fighting sexual sin. God's will is that you're sexually pure before you're married. Now let's go on. This text has a few interesting features. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor there's a lot of debate right now on whether that vessel is your own wife or your own body can I tell you that when you end up with the last part of the verse it doesn't matter possess yourself, possess your relationship whatever, in holiness and sanctification and honor not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God did you get that? if you lose control with a girl or you lose control with a guy you're acting like an unbeliever you're acting just like the Gentiles Verse 6, And that no man, this is key, transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger of these things, just as we also told you before, and solemnly warned you. Now let me tell you a little bit about that text. I think that it's probably been misapplied by a lot. The New Testament primarily was written from men to men. Not just, uh, 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 it wasn't that women were there, but he was talking uh, masculinely. And we used to do that basically until the 60s. What I mean by that is when you address a group of people, you you use the masculine. You would say, in other words, um, um, uh, when man did this, meaning mankind, it was addressed in masculine terms. So he's doing this. The principle goes both ways. Let me tell you what I mean. Let no one defraud his brother he's thinking writing from a man to a man transgressing and defrauding a brother how could that possibly happen let me tell you how two ways messing around with his wife that's one and by messing around with someone who would be his wife that's another men God has called you to lead in purity he's called you to provide purity for this woman who may not be your wife She may be someone else's. And if she is, you ought to treat her like that until she's yours. Until you've made that commitment. Why? Verse 7. God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but holiness, sanctification. Now, if you say, well, I don't know about that, Rick. Verse eight's for you. Consequently, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. Then he goes on in verse 9 and talks about loving one another as spiritual siblings again. Remember, God's will for you is you be pure and holy with the woman that you're spending time with or with the man you're spending time with. Let me give you another principle under chastity. Recognize the difference between love and lust. Recognize the difference between love and lust. How can you recognize that? Let me tell you one quick way. It's very simple. Ephesians 5 tells us, The husband is to be like Christ. There's an analogy going on there, right? And he purifies his wife. He purifies the woman of his life. He presents her impurity to the Lord. Love protects purity. Lust wants to be satisfied with impurity. That's as simple as it gets. Love protects purity. Lust violates purity. So how can, you, how can you get a handle on that? How can you really apply that in a way that will, um, that will walk out of the gym today? Well, take your Bibles and turn over to Romans chapter 13. You've got to see this verse. If you're a highlighter, highlight it. If you're an underliner, underline it. If you're a starer, star it. Whatever you do, this is a powerful, powerful one-verse strategy for being pure. Romans chapter 13. You know, let's pick it up in verse 11 for a moment. And this do, knowing the time that it's already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believe. He's talking about initial salvation growing into uh, sanctifying salvation that will result in glorifying salvation. The night is almost gone, the day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness, of hell and put on the armor of light. Let me say that another way. Let's put off the deeds of impurity and put on the deeds of purity. How do you know that? Keep going. Verse 13. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity. Same word that has to do with all the way from fooling around to doing the whole thing. And sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. Verse 14, here it is. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. See that word provision there? The Greek word has to do with strategies, it's plans, it's forethoughts. Don't make any plan to give your lust an area to take root, don't allow it to take root. What do you mean by that? Don't find yourself in your girlfriend's apartment when no one else is around. Be careful. Don't find yourself getting in the back seat to pray. (laughs) Make no provision. What do you do though? Put on... Everyone likes that last part of the verse, but the first part is more important. Put on the Lord Jesus Tell you what, when you have interaction with a person of the opposite sex and is heading toward a relationship, you continually keep your attitude in the conversation focused on Christ and see how unholy you can be. Well, I mean, the, 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 the biggest stretch you can make is, well, the Lord wants me to give you a holy kiss. That's about as, that's about as big a stretch as you can make. Otherwise, you're going to be talking about pure things, Right? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision, forethought, strategy, plan, opportunity, or any kind of encounter for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Ephesians 4 calls lusts lusts of deceit. They lie to you, they promise something they can't deliver. If they did, people would have premarital sex one time and be done with it for the rest of their life. It doesn't deliver what it promises. It's like giving salt water to a man who's thirsty. It only makes him more thirsty. Recognize the difference between love and lust. Thirdly, respect your future spouses. We've already alluded to this. Respect respect your future spouse or spouses. What I mean by that singular and plural is respect your own and respect yours and hers or yours and his in the relationship. Remember, you have no assurance that the person you're spending time with will be your spouse. So treat them like a brother or sister in Christ until the direction of the relationship is going toward marriage. And fourthly, this should be obvious, reserve intimacy for marriage. Reserve intimacy for marriage. We've said it before, sex is God's wedding gift. And he doesn't like it opened early. It's a wonderful, beautiful, amazing gift that God gave a husband and a wife, but he didn't give it to two people dating. And he doesn't like you messing around with the package before you do that either. You know I know that because my son, we put a couple we made a mistake, got our Christmas tree up. It's December, what is this, the fifth? I'm not gonna do it till December twenty fourth next year. We have the tree up, Kim put a couple of presents under there. Well, you know, it's done two things. Number one, I think we've rewrapped them three times, and Luke keeps bringing it to me and says, "How many days till Christmas?" Well, the same amount of days as it was like five minutes ago, Luke. Okay, so just go put it back under the tree. But you know what he's doing? I keep saying, "Honey, what is in there?" because it's broken. And then he comes to me yesterday. This is a, a um, creative depravity at work. Uh, he comes to me yesterday. He says, "Look, Daddy, it ripped." oh really and how did it do that I don't know it just was there and it ripped go talk to your mother well the same is true now don't mess around you get my point don't mess around you say how far should we go wrong question how holy can I be what if I want to hold hands well what if I want to kiss well the Bible doesn't answer that question. I would love to be dogmatic and say, if you kiss, you're going to hell. Unless you marry her. It doesn't say that. It says be holy. But I will tell you something that the Bible did say. In Deuteronomy 22, in the Old Testament economy, there's a lot of debate right now on whether this applies to today or not. But let me tell you what God is in the, in the mind and heart of God. In Deuteronomy 22 and also in Exodus 22, God said if you ever lie with a woman, you sleep or have sex with a woman, you have to marry her. That's how serious it was. Do you say, are you saying that that made us married? No. He said you have to marry her. Are you saying that applies? Some people think so. I'm still wrestling through the hermeneutics of whether that does or not. But I can tell you this, it does tell me how serious God is about premarital sex. Reserve intimacy for marriage alone. Ask yourself this. We did this with the, when we talked about uh, social drinking, that liberty. Ask yourself this. Is it necessary? Is hugging and holding hands and kissing and doing that stuff, is it necessary? Well, I want to tell her, I, I really want to show her a love her. Then tell her. I really want to show her I care. Then tell her I care about you. What are you really trying to communicate You know what? Some of you aren't trying to communicate anything by being physical, except to yourself. It feels good, so I do it. What are you really trying to gain? What are you really trying to communicate? Is it necessary? And if the person you're dating is putting pressure on you to do more or to go farther, you got the wrong person. You need to find another one who loves the Lord. Number (laughs) ten. Reserve this one for the last because it may be the most encompassing and can give you more guidance than, some of, than all the rest of them really combined. Number ten, the confirmation principle. So simple. The confirmation principle. What do you mean by that? Seek affirmation from the right sources. Seek affirmation about the relationship from the right sources. Now, who are the right sources? Let's start with one that's going to be a sticky point right away, okay? First of all, honor parental authority. Honor parental authority. God has given the authority over children to parents. And to ignore this authority is to ignore God. Guys, do you ever get permission from a girl's father to ask her out on a date? Do you ever get permission from a girl's father to marry her? I think that's a good idea. It's not book, chapter, and verse, but I think it's a really good idea. Especially when it comes to the point of asking her to marry you. You say, well, Rick, he, he doesn't even know the Lord. I'd still ask him. Well, Rick, he, no, I'd still ask him. He's a mean guy. I'd still ask him. He's in prison. Call him. <laughs> you know why? Mark this. This is in the front leaf of my old Bible. I, I wrote in big words. God works through authority even when authority fails. He works through authority. You say, well, then what am I supposed to do with that? Guys, let me give you a little hint. Date her dad. You say, huh? (laughs) Date her dad. He lives in Michigan. Get a phone card. Call him. Talk to him. Honor parental authority. You say, well, hang on... Um, What if there's no father? What if he died? Talk to her mom. What if she says... What if he says... No! Guess what? God said... No. Footnote. I have counseled in in the past... A couple of situations. One primary one. Where I actually told this girl... To disregard her parents' authority... Because they were asking her to marry... Someone who wasn't a Christian... And she wanted to marry a Christian... That's an issue of Matthew chapter 10 where Jesus says sometimes you have to uh, actually override uh, your relationship with your your father and your mother in, in light of your relationship with me. But that's very, very rare. Very rare. Now, instantly all of you are thinking about some situation. You're thinking about your own life. Forget all that for just a second. Just think of the principle. Honor the parents. And if you're honoring them from the very beginning of the relationship, they might not have a whole lot to say negatively about it as it progresses. And if they do, then you're listening. You're inviting verbal communication about that. Include the parents. The Bible says to honor your father and mother, and it doesn't put an age limit on it. Now that's pretty heavy for some of you, and all I would say is this under the confirmation principle, if you don't know how to how all that fleshes out, then let's go to the next little bullet. Solicit godly affirmation. Solicit godly affirmation. If you're not sure how that plays out with your parents, if it's an extenuating circumstance, maybe there is a situation where the parents are telling you something that's unbiblical, and you, oh, that's okay. Then go to the next step. Solicit godly affirmation. Proverbs 12:15 says this, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Proverbs 19.20 Listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. Boy, I've seen people make foolish decisions with someone they marry and they've been fools the rest of their days. Proverbs 27.9 Oil and perfume make the heart glad so a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. Let me ask you this. In your relationship, whose approval do you long for? And let me ask you this. Whose approval do you ignore? Whose approval do you really long for? Who do you want to affirm the relationship? And whose approval do you say, you know what, they don't don't matter. Solicit, surround yourself with godly people. You know what's a danger, students? Let me tell you this. Please, listen. If your relationship with a person of the opposite sex is developing and it tends to lead you with more and more time isolated than with hanging out with some godly people, that's a warning sign. Be careful. Expose the relationship to as many godly people as you can. And say, hey, what do you think about this? Get insight. Pastors, shepherds, elders, deacons, older men in the church, older women in the church, older couples in the church. Go all the way back to our character principle. Remember Titus 2? Having that relationship with an older man or an older woman uh, respective of, uh, of your gender? Run the relationship by them. If you have that kind of relationship, it's going to solve a multitude of problems because you're able to work through those with some older godly counsel. So honor the parents and solicit godly affirmation. All right, let's kind of draw it to a conclusion here, okay? Let's go back and look at the whole thing for a second. If you want to have a relationship that honors the Lord, what can you do? What should you do? Let's list it out really quickly. First of all, you need to apply the commitment, excuse me, the contentment principle. What is that? Find your happiness in God alone. Conversion principle. Pursue only a Christian. The character principle. Realize and recognize the issues of the heart. The cultivation principle. Honor one another as spiritual siblings. The chivalry principle, understand your relational role as a man and a woman. The companionship principle, embrace God's purpose for marriage and look at all relationships as potential testing ground for marriage. The commitment principle, become a biblical lover, love like Jesus loves. The communication principle, practice biblical communication. The chastity principle, ask how holy can I be? And the confirmation principle. Seek affirmation from the right sources. It's not exhaustive, students, but I promise you, there's enough principles there that you will save yourself a world of hurt and a lifetime of regret if you apply them. Who and how you decide to marry is the second most important decision of your life. And let me say at the very end what we said at the very beginning of this series. All of these are principles only given movement, only given uh, uh, walking, as it were, in a person's life through the power of Jesus Christ being received in the gospel. You can't take these principles, put them on your bathroom mirror, and say, I'm going to do this every day, and it'll work. You know what? These are all points that you have to apply, but they're all gifts and means of grace that only God can give Don't take this list and say, here's what I'm going to do, before you take that list and say, Lord, do this through me. And it may be that you're looking at this list and looking at a girl or looking at a guy and thinking what she'd be doing, and that's the wrong question. You might need to be saying, you know, Lord, where am I with you? I'm looking at these horizontal relationships, but where is your relationship with Jesus Christ? You know, giving all you are and all that you know of yourself to all that you know of Christ is the gospel. Trading your wicked, sinful life for His righteous life through faith is the gospel. It's great news. That relationship is far superior to what we've been studying in the last three months. I want to beg you and pray for you in a minute to weigh heavily your relationships. Every time I do a a wedding... It just gives me the chills. I look at this couple standing before me and I think, Lord, please don't let them become another divorce statistic. Please don't let them look at these vows as just a passing phase in their life. I look at it all your wonderful eyes glowing with, Lord, I want to do this. Hey, that sounds good. right? And I just beg that you would apply these principles before the Lord honor God and he'll honor you by bringing you the woman or the man of his dreams all those girls i dated high school and in college to think that i would have married any one of them instead of kim is just an unthinkable thought it was worth the wait students finding god's best and being god's best is worth the wait I used to think, well, I needed to wait till I found Kim. You know what it was, though? It wasn't what happened. Kim was actually around uh, um, a long time before we, we ever got married. You know what the biggest thing that had to happen in my own life was? Is I had to become who I needed to be for the relationship to work. So when you're sitting around thinking about waiting for him or her, make sure you're focusing on who you need to be. And God will bring you His choice in His time. Fair? Next week we'll come back and hopefully answer some of your questions. Let me pray for you. Father, it's been a long few months studying this, this topic and I, I confess that these have been shallower thoughts than I would have liked to have presented. I, present, I, I confess that we've presented thoughts that don't cover all the bases or cross all the T's or dot all the I's or... There's so much more that could be said. I I pray that you'll use this study that we've surrounded ourselves with and um, point us in the right direction to further study, to further becoming. Cause us to be before you cause us to search. Lord, I pray for these precious students that you would protect them in their dating, and their courting, and their interaction with one another. Protect them from the enemy who would love to match them up with a person, the end of which would be a relationship that doesn't bring you honor or representation as it should. So, Lord, give us grace to obey and to conquer, to trust and to follow in ways that will bring you great glory in our relationships before marriage and our relationships in marriage. In Jesus' name, amen.